Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. It's uh, time for our yearly preview. Um, I would imagine the the preview is going to involve a lot about Iran, Jim. Well, yeah, I think there's something we should get out of the way right away, right now, because of what is happening right now with Iran. Uh, one thing people lose sight of, based again, this is based upon historical experience. Uh, hotspots or potential hotspots like North Korea and Iran, in particular, and I guess you could say Russia. Uh, is that they, the last thing they want is an actual war because they all know, I mean, we stand back and we analyze their military capabilities and we report on it regularly and what have you. And the fact of the matter is that all these, these three countries are military midgets. Uh, all have been declining uh, mainly because of economic reasons. Uh, many of them, all of them self-inflicted. Uh, the, uh, the ongoing violence since... Uh, 2017 in Iran, popular protests have been about people <coughs> finally realizing that the main obstacle uh, to their, you know, prosperity is not American sanctions. It's not, you know, uh, schemes by Israel or or the CIA or what have you. It's their own rulers because they can see upfront and personal. Corruption every day. Uh, the IRGC, which is the you know the Royal Guard, as it were, protecting the um, uh, the religious uh, leaders, the, the religious dictatorship, as it were, uh, the Guardian Council uh, from overthrow by the by the rest of Iran, including the regular military. The IRGC, uh, one of whose generals, Soleimani, the head of the Quds Force Division, um, is. And constantly amassing more economic power, uh, they basically have the right to seize, uh, you know, the assets of, of uh, enemies of the state, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as part of the government, they have they have enjoyed the uh, the initial seizure of all the the, the monarchy, the royalties assets, uh, the aristocracy, mainly the Shah, and. Um, and then over the years, over the decades, more and more of the economy has been absorbed uh, by the uh, by the clergy. Basically, it sounds like you know medieval uh, Roman Catholic Church. But anyway, the um, and the problem is that they are not able uh, to build up a how should I put it a conventional military force because they don't trust it, uh, and so they pour a lot of money into the IRGC. Uh, which basically has its own air force, its own navy, and of course an army. Um, and uh, they spend most of their time now aggrandizing themselves. It's mainly their families because they have they have basically uh, the se- most senior leaders lead clans. Uh, you know, uh, over a hundred. You know. Uh, blood kin, as it were. And uh, one of the more embarrassing uh, aspects of this is with the uh, proliferation of the Internet, a lot of the the younger members, the grandchildren, as it were, of the senior clergy are getting on the Internet and showing off their wealth. 
which has caused some very embarrassing situations, uh, which are still going on. And uh, if this is reminiscent of the uh, Soviet Union in the 1980s, it is, because this is a this is a cycle that all you know dictatorships go through. It happened in uh, in Syria with the Assads. They're not as rich as they used to be, but they're still the richest people in the country. Um, and they pretend they have a powerful military. They, they threaten their neighbors. They try and bully, you know, uh, concessions. Um, and, you know, uh, for a long time, even the West was reluctant to call their bluff. Well, now it's happening. And guess what? They back off. Uh, North Korea and Iran believe that if they had nukes, they, they nobody would call their bluff anymore. Well, I think they're in for a rude surprise. But... Uh, the fact is their biggest enemies are internal. Uh, North Korea hasn't had an internal insurrection yet. But again, we report this regularly. You know, if you read our stuff over the last 10 years, you'll see there's been more and more internal dissent in North Korea. You know, graffiti, which was unheard of, you know, 10 years ago, is now fairly common. It's even being inflicted, as it were, on the shrines of the Kim family, which are considered sacred. Uh, that's a death sentence if you're caught scrolling, you know, food for the people uh, on, a, on a Kim shrine. But it's actually happening. Uh, and that's that's a double that's a double uh, you know uh, sacrilege because a the local party officials are supposed to post guards on these shrines to ensure there is nothing like that happening and it's happening anyway. So uh, you can see the decline going on there. Well, it's been going on in uh, in Iran as well, and uh, in Iran. It's, uh, it's gotten even worse in the last few years. Again, we're reporting from open sources. The, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the aristocracy, well, I'm sorry, the senior uh, clergy who run the place, who have the final power, uh, they've been openly complaining about the state of the military. And one of the things they've been particularly, uh, how should I put it, uneasy about in the last couple of years, and again, they've made public pronouncements about this. There have been a lot of uh, senior officers in the Air Defense Command, in the Air Force, and what have you, being fired for not basically fixing it, uh, is problems with the Air Force, which basically doesn't exist. I mean, they have a lot of old aircraft, which they can get in the air, but that's about all they can do. They, they will, they'll provide target practice for someone else. The Air Defense Command, which was supposed to be strengthened by new Russian equipment, well, that apparently shot down a, a Ukrainian airliner, uh, killing mostly foreigners on their way to the Ukraine. Um, and uh, apparently we got a, a satellite photo of that. We were monitoring, as one would expect at that time. That was right after the rockets were launched a few days ago. Uh, we were basically had the, uh, the Keyhole 11 uh collecting live video what was going on over Tehran. And this was over Tehran, where a lot of their air defense systems are. And apparently there was a, a live video of the aircraft being tagged by a, uh, a Tor-1 uh, missile, which is a, a, a late model Russian system. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I believe it's that same one that, that brought down the, uh, the, uh, the Malaysian airliner over uh, Ukraine. And uh, what was that, 2015? Anyway, the, uh, 
this is an example of the problems they're having. Even when they have modern equipment, uh, they don't really have disciplined, you know, well-trained people handling it. Although in the case of Iran and the and the Panzer Tor systems, uh, these are relatively new systems, and they have had a problem in Syria where they don't, where apparently they don't work too well when you're actually trying to hit something you want to hit, not something that's accidentally flying by and it's an airliner. Uh, so the main areas where we're having combat going on continuously and a lot of casualties are places we don't consider hotspots. For example, the uh, most of them are, you know, the top ten. Uh, how should I put it? Uh, disaster areas uh, in the in the country in the in the world. And these this list hasn't changed much. Uh, it basically includes uh, Yemen, which which is there is some fighting, but mostly it's a lot of people sitting around starving. Uh, Congo, which <laughs> Austin has been reporting up for decades, and you know that's a lot of starvation, a lot of rampant, you know, violence and what have you. South Sudan, which actually may drop off the list, uh, top ten in the at least coming year, because they have finally achieved a uh, a ceasefire, a truce that's holding, and that is mainly out of exhaustion. In other words, uh, there's no food. There's no nothing, uh, and the the warring factions, which are basically two tribal coalitions uh, led by the president and the former vice president, uh, uh, you know, had decided. Well, you know, uh, maybe we better stop for a while, catch our breath, uh, and then go resume fighting later. Uh, there's Afghanistan, the perennial uh, Venezuela. Which, interestingly enough, is probably going to drop off the list because I don't know if a lot of people have noticed this. They've started to eliminate the socialism. They still have got a socialist dictatorship. It's funny. That's how it works. The dictatorship never goes away. But uh, even North Korea and Cuba have adopted a lot of open free market uh practices in order to stay afloat financially. In fact, in Venezuela, there are... More people do financial transactions with dollars than with the local currency, which is no longer inflating as much as it used to, but it's still got inflation at over a thousand percent a year. That's down from a couple of million percent a year. Um, another, a number of African countries, Central African Republic, again, Austin's been covering that mess for a long time. That's a sad situation. Uh, Syria, Nigeria, Ethiopia. Ethiopia, you don't hear much about, but again, that's uh, ethnic, tribal, uh, basically Christian tribe, which is the majority, and some Muslim tribes. And then there's some Somalis uh, in one part of Ethiopia, which are always annoying for everyone concerned. Um, and, and of course, Somalia itself, which is basically one of those failed states, which was never a state. In fact, if you if you look at these from the viewpoint of failed states, almost all the failed states are on this list. The, the main failed states, the, the places we call countries, but were never countries uh, in, the, in the modern sense, are Afghanistan and Yemen. Uh, and again, if you look at our coverage of Yemen, you know, we, we repeat that little, you know, brief two-paragraph history of how it was wasn't a uh, a country when the uh, when the British moved in uh, in the 19th century, uh, and when the British left in 50 years ago, uh, it was it was two countries actually. They reunited in the 1990s. Uh, they had to fight again. Then they stayed united, and now they're trying to break up again. 
So, you know, things don't change. Afghanistan, Afghanistan is another story we explain. Afghanistan is complicated by the fact that the uh, the main motivation there for to keep on fighting is drug money. Uh, it's the main producer of heroin uh, on the planet. Uh, and apparently there's some moves in Afghanistan to try to get into fentanyl production. <laughs> of an industrial process, but, you know, they're, they're business savvy as far as their, their product goes. But as far as aiding the well-being of the entire country, uh, the drug business is, is a total bust. Um, and uh, in a country like Afghanistan, which has enough problems to begin with, it's just one more layer of misery, one more layer of intractable or difficult problems that have to be solved. So these are places where there's a lot of uh, shooting going on, whereas in uh, Iran and North Korea, there's no much actual combat. Although they get most of the news. Now, the reason there is, again, the nukes. Now, that is a that is a terra incognita because there are only two countries we have to worry about with nukes, and that is India and Pakistan. Uh, again, Pakistan should be on this list that used to be because of their the terrorism deaths. Um, but they've fallen off it because they basically suppressed all the terrorists they had created uh, who were in the country and chased them all into Afghanistan. Um, but they are still encouraging most of the, much of the terrorism uh, in, uh, in Afghanistan and some of it in uh, India. India's main problem is not religious-based terrorism, it's it's People have a hard time grasping this. Communist uh, rebels in eastern India, plus tribal rebels in northeastern India. But anyway, that's another story. You you can read about it in Strategy Page, and you'll be, you know, uh, amused in a sort of macabre way. Um, So the future hotspots are basically the past hotspots with a few minor changes. And uh, that may not sound encouraging, but, you know, at least it's predictable. Uh, hey, Dan, let me uh, make a comment on, on uh, the Eastern Indian uh, problem with the uh, uh, communist rebels. There is some indication, again, Jim uh, said the magic words uh, open source, and that's you know, what we rely on, that there's a, a Chinese finger uh, in the, the, the troublemaking uh, communist communist. Also, with in, in the Philippines, there is a remnant Philippine communist uh, movement, uh, nominally Maoist, whatever that means in the the 21st uh, century, uh, means in some way connected to China. So uh, they are still active, barely, that the the, uh, communist insurgents are dormant in in the Philippines. The uh, Islamic insurgency that was the legitimate one by the Moros is more or less subsided. You still have the uh, the affiliate with the Islamic State uh, uh, setting off bombs. But I just uh, I want I want to make a comment on that on Jim's uh, note uh, on the uh, trouble in India. Look, you could go through the, to, to add some other places. Jim brought up Central African Republic, which I I don't mean to chuckle at it. It's just absolutely sad. Last year, uh, in mid February. Uh, the UN and the new government, in uh, as such as it is, it's really just in Bangui because it has no authority, uh, no ability to do anything outside of uh, Bangui. It relies on MINUSCA, the uh, UN uh, peacekeeping force there, for <coughs> for 
<laughs> policing, minimal policing uh, in, the, in the rest of the country. But they succeeded, the, the, the new government, uh, the leadership there was regarded as clean, particularly compared to the former uh, rebels in the, the former rebel force Salika, which was predominantly Muslim, on the old Bozis uh, administration. Even though he's returned from from exile, the the government succeeded in getting fourteen uh, fourteen of the key warring factions. Got that down? Fourteen of the key warring factions to agree to a peace settlement, and about ten or eleven of them throughout the year honored it. Three, three, maybe four got it, uh, got into it. The problem is that there is another movement going on in the Eastern Central African Republic. Uh, we're mixing up our directions there, of course. Uh, Eastern Central African Republic that's involved, deeply involved with smuggling and also associated with an ongoing uh, uh, small-scale insurgency in Cameroon. And also smuggling going on in, into uh, South Sudan and into Congo with, with with some other tribes that are located in the Southwest. If I said I said Eastern, uh, I meant Western with 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 the insurgency with uh, uh, with Congo. It's uh, Western Central African uh, African Republic. In other words, the the situation is so anarchic, and it's again based on tribalism. There are sectarian uh, divisions that gets most of the attention between the uh, anti-Balaka and uh, the uh, m- uh, movement and the uh, and the remnants of uh, uh, Saleka, but the, the, the tribalism and crime. And uh, I, why am I going uh, into some detail in the Central African Republic? Because in some ways it is. The best example of, of the, the kinds of illnesses in failed states or never states that Jim was talking about, where you see these, uh, the, where the, the, the shooting continues. Some of that applies to Mali as well and uh, Niger, even though you've got the insurgency there that's run by, well, they were Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb. Now it's Islamic State in the is- Islamic Maghreb, meaning the uh, uh, northern, western northern Africa. Uh, and they are involved with Boko Haram, which is still around uh, in uh, Nigeria, committed some absolutely heavy atrocities. What was it, Jim, about five or six weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, know, I know we covered it. Uh, yeah, I looked at it, even though the Nigerian government has been, uh, you, you're going to have to give them uh, credit for for uh, 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 suppressing the uh, the worst of Boko Haram. Uh, they haven't taken them off, uh, taken them off the map, but there's, they're in Nigeria, which there is a, a Nigerian core, a COR East uh, state of a sorts, built a sort built a, built around the oil industry and in the uh, Niger uh, River uh, Delta, but it's it's riven by tribalism. The Igbo, with the old Biafran insurgency of the 1960s, the Igbo are still there. And uh, though they got beat in that uh, civil war, they have their own separate identity from the rest of, of, of Nigeria. Uh, so 
there's a there's a, a place in southern and well in, there, in that case sub-Saharan Africa that has uh, money, uh, education comparatively, uh, and culture. Yet it's still riven by, by the same issues that you see in some of these other failed states. I'm not saying Nigeria is a failed state, but it's got the issues there of tribalism and corruption. In this case, corruption around something that's worth something, meaning the uh, uh, oil oil industry. Jim talked about Yemen, or he talked about Syria, and uh, I've, I've mentioned uh, I've mentioned the, uh, uh, the the Philippines. There's those are that's you know shooting with AK-47s, uh, occasionally mortar rounds, uh, and it's complicated too. Uh, Jim mentioned uh, people in Yemen now starving. I've written this, I've written that that column three times, Dan, within the last uh, seven or eight years about Yemen, about how starvation is a tool there. That's also been a tool in southern Sudan. Uh, The Sudanese government, uh, meaning now northern Sudan, Khartoum, used starvation as a tool of war, as a weapon in Darfur. Darfur hasn't gone away either, but it's more now back to a a uh, small scale tribal insurgency, and they're at least talking about uh, <clears throat> reaching a, a settlement uh, with uh, with the government. Sudan is uh, is one of the few places, and I think we mentioned this in our review of, of 2019. I know I did in a in a column uh, I wrote is one of the few. Good stories out of, I say, out of Africa, uh, Middle East, in terms of, uh, for that for that matter, uh, Central Asia, uh, in, in terms of you know, an improvement in, in 2019, and that was with the demise of the Bashir uh, dictatorship and the rise of this uh, <coughs> split uh, split personality sovereign council that runs the. Uh, uh, that runs the country now. You've got a, a prime minister who is actually interested in inter- ending uh, Darfur and also what's the war in in the uh, in South Kordofan and Blue Nile, Blue Nile states. That's that's really largely become uh, uh, dormant. There there's still reports occasionally of of uh, of shootouts, but the Sudanese government has. <clears throat> the new one has made efforts to stop the Sudanese Air Force from dropping uh, bombs on uh, newer villages in the in the uh, Nuba Mountains, which uh, would, because of the porosity of the internet and also the use by some human rights groups of very effective satellite coverage, the uh, Khartoum can't get away with that uh, uh, that anymore. Um, let's go back to. Jim said, you know, there's North Korea's in a in a crooked nowhere land looking for nuclear weapons and with an archaic communist regime. And I'm going to avoid getting into the uh, detail, nitty gritty of the uh, Trump administration's attempts to denuclearize it. We can discuss that. We've discussed it in the past. We'll discuss it again. Those are continuing. Kim didn't pop his Christmas present, New Year's Day, uh, uh, Roman candle. But that still is a dangerous situation. It's a frozen war, dangerous situation. Iran, Iran 
after what was done at the end of the uh, uh, beginning of the year, really, with uh, uh, General Soleimani, uh, there's a lesson on how far state-sponsored terror will take you. I think 2020, it will be interesting to see if that has other effects on uh, Iran and also other terror, terror groups uh, in uh, around the world, but more specifically in, in the Middle East uh, and Central Asia, uh, and and uh, for that matter, the Horn of, uh, the Horn of Africa, because there there are connections, and one of the connections has been the the Al Quds uh, group that Soleimani uh, d- directed. Uh, yeah, he's dealing with uh, Sunnis, he's dealing with non-Muslims, but uh, he was able to provide financial aid, uh, weapons, uh, and training, and some of it, uh, some of it overt, a lot of it uh, 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 covert. I'm not saying it was only his network, but it was. He certainly had a, had a finger in that. The Iranians have a have a finger in what was going on in uh, in uh, Somalia. And uh, a small-scale uh, insurgency in in uh, Djibouti, even though that has uh, largely uh, largely dissipated. It'll be interesting to see if their uh, calming effects. How do you like that word, Jim? Uh, uh, from uh, the uh, demise of uh, uh, General Soleimani, China, Hong Kong had uh, a very large. Uh, protest demonstration, more celebratory uh, during Christmas week. Again, to make uh, make the point pro-democracy, overtly pro-democracy, to make the point that they haven't gone away. Uh, China is watching and waiting. Could it overrun the place? Of course. The People's uh, Liberation Army has uh, soldiers and People's Armed Police are are within uh, uh, Hong Kong uh, right now. And we estimated uh, months ago that there were equivalent of two mechanized divisions of People's Armed Police in Shenzhen, just across the border uh, uh, in, in uh, Guangdong province, that uh, could just sweep in there into the uh, city uh, instantly. But uh, Hong Kong has, uh, Hong Kong populace has uh, been resilient. They are betting that their best bet is uh, to continue the uh, pro-democracy agitation because they believe the Beijing to be uh, ultimately crooked and going to renege on the on the Sino-British uh, uh, treaty that guaranteed Hong Kong autonomy through 2047. And the only way to uh, maintain their autonomy is uh, to continue to agitate. And it's not just re- rhetoric and people in the street. Jim covered this and has in a, a couple of strategy talks we've had within the last uh, three months about the, the importance of Hong Kong to uh, mainland China's economy, plus the Trump administration economic war between the U.S. and uh, and China has exposed uh, the weakness of the the Chinese uh, Chinese economy. Jim uh, t- speaks of it as being uh, fragile. I think I use the word brittle, but you get the you get the point uh, point there. It is a, it it is huge, powerful. But fragile, uh, and uh, there it's 
been dependent on its uh, interaction with uh, the United States. And as Jim pointed out in a recent uh, strategy talk, uh, China is not energy independent. It must have energy supplies from uh, Russia and uh, uh, primarily Southwest Asia, uh, uh, the, the Middle East. So it's it's caught in a uh, in a dilemma. It's got to interact with the rest of the world. Therefore, sanctions applied by the United States uh, has uh, a disruptive effect on its uh, economic engine. Uh, Hong Kong is aware of this. Taiwan's aware of this. South Korea's uh, aware of this. So uh, as worried as I have been about the rise of China and war in the South China Sea, those seven artificial islands, which now have uh, air bases and missiles, they're very real. Uh, I recall a discussion that we had on that. Jim was pointing out they've already got a crossfire capability with with uh, anti-ship missiles, if you look at the spread of the uh, artificial islands in there, but I also say, gee, those are really easy targets for standoff weapons from uh, uh, U.S. heavy bombers, uh, also sea-launched uh, uh, cruise missiles. Uh, they gained something, but they also stuck something out there that they could lose in a shooting war. And to the Chinese credit, the, the Chinese understand this. Uh, I, I think it has a deterrent effect. I also understand what this, uh, you know, the Russians are the ones who are going around talking about all their hypersonic missiles. You need to start looking at some of the things <laughs> that the U.S., the Norwegians, even the Japanese have started putting together. I think uh, the uh, European, Japanese, uh, and North American uh, hypersonic we uh, weapons will work. Uh, that's just an opinion, Jim. Uh, I'm not so sure that the Russians will. And uh, the Chinese can read the mail on that. So, Dan, I, I guess uh, I, I, I spent a lot of time in the failed states, but the well, North Korea is really a failed state, too. China is not. Uh, Iran is a failing state. Shouldn't be. And I didn't even mention Russia because I think Russia realizes it's in the Ukraine quagmire now and the Syrian quagmire. And it's it's even muted its its bullying tactics uh, in the Baltic because uh, of the of the uh, blowback they've gotten from Finns and Swedes talking about joining NATO. Don't think that doesn't shake up Moscow. And it does, and it should. I'll leave it at that. Jim, do you have anything? No, I think and that's the thing. That's the, I think the big takeaway from all this, you know, what's going to happen next year is the same thing that's been happening in the last year. Uh, a lot of these um, areas where there is uh, conscious, uh, uh, how should I put it, troublemaking, and that, that would be, you know, uh, Iran, North Korea, uh, and a few of uh, Russia. Um, they don't really have a military option. Their base and and Iran has been very good at this. They always were. I mean, this is a this is a a tradition that goes back thousands of years. That's why the Arabs are afraid of them. They don't like to attack you head on uh, when they can basically do it indirectly, which is the Iranians have been very good at. And that's why the uh, you know a lot of the <laughs> the the outpouring of of uh, how should I put it warning of mourners uh, in in Iran for General Soleimani was. Uh, 
was basically enforced. <laughs> they were, you know, and and the Iranians realized the news gets out because they they haven't hundred uh, percent, you know, shut off the uh, the internet. Uh, but they get to make the first pronouncements, so they get pictures out of have hundreds of thousands of people out there, you know, mourning, you know, Soleimani. Most of them are there at gunpoint. I mean, they basically said, like all these these death to America and, and you know, death to Israel uh, uh, mass demonstrations they have several times a year. Uh, more and more, these are basically people being told, you better go out there if you want to keep your job, or et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the uh, Soleimani is very, uh, was very, Disliked, shall we say? Well, I hated in Iran because he basically boasted of uh, when they started having the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, public protests calling for you know uh, the removal of the religious dictatorship, and a lot of them are, are calling for the removal of Islam. In fact, what has become very popular in 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 uh, in uh, Iran lately in the last you know, year, I guess, is people realizing well. You know, it might be nice to go and become a Buddhist or a, a Christian or whatever, but Jesus, they'll kill you for that if they find out. So a lot of people are becoming atheists. They're just not going to the mosque anymore. Jim, Jim yeah. there's also there's also a, a movement to uh, become Zoroastrian again. Well, that, but mean, that but that would be considered paganism, and you know they'll know, uh, they head off to make it an example. But the point is, yes, a lot of people would, you know, if they didn't have the the death threat hanging over them and enforce and actually use an active death threat, a lot of people would. And I think that's what's going to happen. That the aftermath of Iran, you know, they'll eventually put down this uh, this religious dictatorship. And this is not. Nothing new in Iran. The the father of the late Shah, you know, the first of his dynasty, he took power when the uh, when the senior clergy tried to basically take control of the government, and he brought out his troops. He says, "You try and do that, I will kill you all." Now they realized that they now back then they didn't have you know uh, the communications to go nationwide with their their word, whatever they're, they're, they're calling. Um, and they realize, uh, as has happened before in Iran, they're all right. So we back off, we have an iron shot, but his son was made more of, you know, uh, cloth and, uh, and he tried to act tough, but he wasn't tough enough. And you know, the thing that, again, people don't realize this 1970s, late seventies, when the Shah was getting in trouble, it wasn't the internet because the internet didn't exist yet. Well, not as it does now, and there was no, there was no hardly any cable news. Uh, there was no, I think that satellite news was just beginning, but not in in the Middle East. Uh, but what they did have was cassette tapes. Now, a lot of people and most people in Iran were literate, but they could all listen. <laughs> and and what. Uh, Khomeini, the the guy in exile, the French gave him, uh, you know, uh, asylum. And a lot of European nations are having second thoughts about giving asylum to, you know. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, and uh, he was able to basically make these fiery speeches, put them on video, on cassette tapes, and slip those cassette tapes into uh, into uh, Iran. Now, one thing that was very popular was the. Now, I, th I think the Walkman was just coming out, but a lot of people had these. 
these basically semi-portable uh, cassette players, and people would buy music and what have you, or they could even send messages because back then there was no cheap international phone calls. Um, so there were a lot of cassette tapes, and they were easy to smuggle in, and this is what really got going. People would get away, get a, sit down every Friday at the mosque. That's uh, Friday is the day you go to the mosque, uh, and uh, they just play a, a cassette tape. And then the local, you know, imam would get up there and basically comment on it, you know, uh, uh, and basically encourage people for local issues uh, to back this rebellion. Now they regretted it. Uh, uh, But the trouble with the dictatorship is once they get in, they're very difficult to get out. Uh, Let me me make one point on what Khomeini preyed upon then, because I've reached a point, I've got something else I've got to do here, but Jim, it was corruption of the Pahlavis that Khomeini damned, and now the corruption is the Khomeiniist regime. Exactly. Well, that's another problem. As, as we go over that, you know, regularly in strategy page, the corruption is always at the at the at the foundation of this of any political movement. Ad infinitum. Ad infinitum. Exactly. And in uh, and but the, again, the basic problem they have in these countries is once the the tyranny, the dictatorship gets in, they're very difficult to get out because, as as Austin puts it, their main priority is regime maintenance. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and they're usually very good. In fact, the only thing that the the Soviet communists, the Russian communists, produced, developed in the 20th century was a fairly effective uh, poli- a communist police state. The only problem was, as they learned in the 1980s, was that without the underlying economy, uh, eventually people get so desperate economically that they say, "Well, you know, we'll 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 we'll." We just won't. We won't. We'll stop. You know, and and that's what basically caused that massive collapse in communist states in Eastern Europe and Russia between 1989 and 1991. But the Chinese, who thought they had it figured out, they said, "All right, we'll go fascist." And basically, fascism is a dictatorship with a more or less free market economy. In other words, the the state does not try and run the economy in detail like the communists did. That does not work. But uh, if you have a, a a profitable economy, uh, a dictatorship has a lot more leeway to do this and to do that. But the Chinese are finding out even that doesn't work because to have a market economy, it means a lot of people are going to become prosperous. And once they become prosperous, uh, some of them will basically be more than happy to be uh, basic cronies of the of the dictatorship, but a lot of them are not the middle class, shall we say? And they say we want freedom, and that's what's happening in Hong Kong. That's what's happening in southern China. You're hearing this. This bothers the the Chinese government. They're hearing the same public protest in southern China, where they can crack down a lot more harshly, but they're hearing the same slogans that are being used in Hong Kong. And this is the, this basically, there's no winning uh, for the, uh, you know, for the dictatorships, but they can stay in power for decades. Uh, and this was the tragedy of Russia, where for 70 years, the country was crippled uh, by this, 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 this self-righteous, you know, homicidal or democidal, you know, dictatorship. I calculated once that Russia, if they had not gone communist or dictatorship, uh, they had a constitutional monarchy when they got into war, when they ran and entered World War One. If they were able to somehow hang on to that, um, which the monarchy was willing to let go of, but there were problems with the war and what have you. Uh, 
Anyway, they would have been much more prosperous, still corrupt and what have you, but they would have been stable by comparison to what they ended up with. In addition, Russia lost about 25% of its population. A non-Bolshevik, you know, a non-dictatorship uh, Russia would have, you know, uh, almost 30% more people today. Uh, they would probably still have their empire, but that's problematic as well. Um, and, uh, and, and people would be a lot better off. But nobody wants to think about that because, especially in Russia, because the Russians hate to admit that we let this happen. You know, that's another factor you have to take into account. A lot of people will keep a horrendous system going for a long time because they don't want to admit it's their fault. Anyway, I suppose we should end it there. Yeah, but that's a good that's a good place to end it, Joe. Yep. Yeah. Well, we'll wrap it up and uh, we'll be looking forward to all the things that are coming this year. Until right. later, guys. Bye. Bye.